A Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, episode 132. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist and adaptability coach to entrepreneurs and business leaders. I believe that working on your business is more important than working in your business. If you want to achieve your business goals and dreams without the cost and pain of having to make every mistake yourself, then The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for you. I'm here to help you learn from the lessons of entrepreneurs and business leaders to help you work on yourself and your business so that you can save time, energy, and grow faster. For those of you new to the show, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai presents three new episodes each week. On Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of business leaders through insightful guest interviews. On Story Tuesday, we dig deeper with them and learn firsthand from their stories, hard-earned lessons, and experience. On Thrive Thursday, it's just you and me on the couch, where you'll hear scientific research, my thoughts, and tangible tactics to adapt and grow yourself and your business. Grab a proverbial seat and listen up so you can learn from the minds and mistakes of business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. Welcome to Thrive Thursday with Dr. Yishai. This week on the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, I had Jesse Sherleff, ex-Googler, solopreneur, founder of the podcast and community, This Is My Truth, and mentor at the forum. Story Tuesday's conversation was so packed and full of stories and lessons that I just had to share it all with you. And that meant giving it to you in two parts. In part one of our two-part Story Tuesday conversation, Jessie shared lessons she learned the hard way about listening to her gut and when it may be better not to share your story. In part two, Jessie talked about the difference between your zone of excellence and your zone of genius and how she learned painfully about the difference between them, plus the steps you can take to start tuning into your inner voice and listening to your gut. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to episodes 130 and 131 to learn from a connection, vulnerability, and sales expert who doesn't shy away from being human. On the contrary, she's made it her mission to learn and grow into a solopreneur and a force of nature to be reckoned with. At the end of episode 131, Jesse asked me the following question. Why do we get stuck, trip ourselves, or get in our own way when we take leaps as entrepreneurs and leaders? And what are some of the hacks we can learn early and practice often to navigate them? Thank you so much, Jesse, for the fantastic question. I can't wait to dive in and share my experience, thoughts, and hacks. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a seven-plus-figure business and want to reach the next level for yourself and your business, if you have passions, goals, and dreams and want to continue to strive as a team, a leader, and a visionary without risking burnout, if you have overcome challenges, developed wisdom, and know that adapting is not just for surviving, but a core part of thriving, then adaptability coaching is for you. 
With psychology and neuroscience-backed tools, the 3D Adaptation Framework can show you how to tap into and harness the way our brains are uniquely designed for adaptation. You can learn to harness and leverage adaptability tools and frameworks to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to hone yourself further, to proactively adapt, to thrive, instead of reactively adapting, just to survive. To learn more, go to dryishai.com coaching. And now without further ado, let's dive into three hacks to stumble less when you leap forward. Have you ever been stumped by a particularly juicy riddle? Here's one that really confounded me. A man is stranded on a barren island with nothing but a calendar. The island has nothing but sand, no wildlife, no trees, no fish, or anything to eat on the island or its surrounding waters. When a rescue ship finally shows up several months later, they find him smiling serenely and surprisingly well-fed. How did he survive? Feel free to pause and think about it for a bit. Before I give you the answer, I want to tell you about when I first heard the riddle. I was in college and I was actually watching Star Trek through the entire series for the first time. Yeah, I was that kind of nerd in college. And yeah, I'm still that kind of nerd today. It was actually a riddle from one of the episodes, when two characters got stranded on a planet together, so they had to try to send a distress signal and survive until help arrived. When I was watching the episode, I just had to pause and think about it for myself. And even then, I felt totally stumped. So I resigned to my ignorance and, hungry for an answer, I pressed play. When I heard the solution, I smacked my forehead with my palm. It was such a left-field, obvious yet nonsensical answer. But also, it reminded me of something I was learning in my cognitive psychology course at the time. A principle that's at the core of Jesse's question and my answer. But first, back to the episode and the riddle. In the episode, the riddle posed by one character completely stumped the other character, just as it did me. And so that other character gave up after several attempts and then finally asked for an answer. Are you ready for the answer? If not, take a pause now because I'm about to spoil it for you. Here it is. He feasted on dates from the calendar. It's such an oddball corny answer. It's like a dad joke. But here's why it sticks out in my mind, and why I remember that moment to this day. At the time, in my cognitive psychology class, I was learning about a concept called functional fixedness, which was based on a really interesting study. Back in 1945, Carl Dunker did an experiment where he gave participants a candle, a box of thumbtacks, and a book of matches, and then he asked them to attach the candle to the wall so that it did not drip down into the table below when it's lit. If you want to think about that for a minute or two and see if you can solve the puzzle, feel free to take another pause right now and see what solutions you might come up with. Back to Dunker's findings, what he discovered is that most of the participants struggled to find a way to do it. It took a bit of -of out-of-the-box thinking, and spoilers, the most successful participants used the box along with the thumbtacks to make a shelf for the candle. Dunker's interpretation was that people got so fixated on the box's function 
as a vessel for thumbtacks that they didn't consider it a potential shelf to hold a candle. Thus the term functional fixedness. In other words, their way of thinking about the box narrowed their view of possibilities and solutions. They got stuck thinking that the box was only for holding thumbtacks and missed that it could hold the candle too. The research has since been replicated over and over again, and as it turns out, some form of functional fixedness exists in pretty much every single culture. What's more is that in one study that compared school-aged kids and adults, the researchers found that the kids were significantly more likely to get creative with their solutions, and more of the kids found the solution than the adults. Okay, but how is that related to stumbling less when you leap forward? We all develop our own fixed ways of thinking, perceiving, and responding. Sometimes how we learned to think, perceive, or respond can get in the way of moving forward, especially when the situation we're in is new, unusual, or unprecedented, or perhaps when we need to rethink and find novel uses for the tools and possibilities at our disposal. I wanted to dig in a bit more here and dig into Jesse's question because there's a fascinating connection here, one that we also touched on in our conversations this week. I was so fascinated when I learned about functional fixedness. It blew my mind. The idea that kids have an ability to be more adaptive than adults was also really surprising and made me so curious. So I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And finally, something dawned on me that started to help me make sense of why we say that kids are so much more adaptive than adults. Because, as I said in my conversation with Jesse, from my perspective, and what my thoughts are telling me, is that kids really only have one job. Their job is to learn what the world is and how it works. Kids have fewer preconceived notions and are often more willing to engage with the world in all kinds of ways that we don't do as adults because we already have ideas about what things are, how to act or behave in certain situations, what to do and what not to do. In fact, it's often through our experiences as kids that we learn how to perceive and relate. So when we see a box of tacks as an adult, our brain automatically categorizes it as a container for tacks. And we think of the tax as having a specific use. For example, sticking papers, pictures, and cards onto a cork board. Kids, however, are much more likely to open the box, spill out the contents, explore, poke, and prod everything. They're just as likely to play with the box as they are with the tax. If you've ever seen a kid with a cardboard box, you'll know and you'll understand. But that's also why it's more dangerous to hand them a box of thumbtacks unsupervised, because they're more likely to do things with those thumbtacks that could injure them or someone else. On the flip side, when you take a leap forward, you're often faced with new circumstances, new challenges, and need new perspectives, tools, and approaches to succeed. But if all you're using is your old way of thinking, perceiving, and problem-solving, then your brain and its functional fixedness, which is a protective asset in so many situations, might actually create a stumbling block for you. In other words, what you've learned to get you this far won't necessarily be enough or be the right things to carry you through the next level that you just stepped into. 
coming more to the point of Jesse's question, it really got me thinking. And I realized that I consider challenges and help entrepreneurs and leaders pilot through them with a consistent and very applicable process. In fact, it's a process I'm well known for among the entrepreneurs who I speak with all the time. They constantly comment about how I respond differently than other people when they're sharing challenges or talking about what's getting in their own way. And I wanted to start by saying, let's take a look at what shows up when we turn over every rock, dig into the question, and look into the hard-to-see places. I want to explore it like a kid for a moment, without the functional fixedness. And then, of course, we'll get to the hacks that you can start applying for yourself. Jesse asked why we get stuck and in our own way, and then asked about hacks for navigating the path forward. And I made a few observations. Three in particular really stuck out to me. First, it's about how we get in our own way. Second, it's an invitation to look into why that happens. And third, it's a call to share knowledge, wisdom, experience, and expertise to help smoothen that process. And I want to acknowledge that while I'm looking into this and seeing it from all these different perspectives, it's not that we necessarily have an exact, clear, singular why for why this happens. But let's get to exploring it and taking a look at it. We get in our own way. Those words for me, they conjure up some really interesting thoughts. We are doing it to ourselves. There's a way forward, but we're not seeing it. Like we're stuck or we're in some kind of a blind spot. And why does that happen? If you remember the beginning of today's episode, you might already have an answer in mind. I think there can be a lot of factors. But for one, there's a kind of functional fixedness, which can cut both ways, sometimes because you have pre-programmed ways of thinking, but also sometimes because of preconceived notions about what it will be like to step into entrepreneurship or into the next level for you. If you've ever played a video game or a game on your phone, you've probably encountered the situation where you have to overcome an obstacle to unlock a new power or item or something that allows you to interact differently or in a new way inside the game. Without that power or item or ability to interact differently, you can't progress to the next stage or level. And then you'll get stuck and you won't really be able to make it through that level into the next level after that. In a way, it's really similar, but also reversed. Because when you push yourself to the new level as an entrepreneur, as a leader, you now need to cultivate new skills, new ways of perceiving and create new processes to drive forward. It can be hard to let go of so much of what you've built and learned that has been crucial to help you get to this point. The idea of tearing down to build up something better is like having to do demolition to make way for and to create an addition or rebuild on a house and make it bigger, more beautiful. You know, in a way, it takes a willingness to admit that we don't know as much as we think we do. And even what we do know or how we are thinking can really get in our way. Just like the way those adults were thinking about the box of thumbtacks. I'm going to get really particular about the language here too, because there's an interesting way that Jesse phrased it. Navigating forward, not overcoming obstacles, destroying our difficulties, or smashing struggles out of the way. The subtle distinction is akin to the difference between solving a puzzle box by exploring and working through it to get to the prize inside versus smashing it open with a sledgehammer. You can definitely try the sledgehammer, but you might just crush the prize that you're looking for. 
you know, sometimes you need a new way of looking at it, a new way of approaching and handling that next level. Without it, your previously useful skills, ways of thinking, perceiving, and handling and dealing may not fit the bill. They might not be the entire tool set, the entire skill set that you need in order to succeed at this new level. Kind of like a software update, except you need to make changes with intention to get the latest version with all the newest tools, skills, and features. In fact, I did an episode back in December all about how your brain is designed to help you update your operating system and what gets in the way of that. Feel free to go back and listen to episode 54, Harnessing Anticipation to Adapt and Thrive, if you really want to learn more about how you can harness the way your brain is designed to help you update its own operating system. Okay, so enough digging into the question. What are the hacks? So I realized that I use three questions, which are three processes and really three imperatives that will help you navigate and get caught off guard less often and to get stuck less often. But to really squeeze all the juice out of them, we're going to need to dig in deeper. So here are my three hacks. And I'm going to use a metaphor of a kid playing because it's such an important metaphor, especially in context of the functional fixedness challenge, the reason or a core reason that we end up doing this to ourselves. So the first one is spill it all out. Look at everything from every angle. It's really about digging into why. And really to do that, you need to cultivate awareness. You need to dig into why it happened, specifically in the situation you're in or why it happens in general. So you can ask yourself some of the following questions. What factors contribute to this type of challenge or stuckness in general? What factors contributed to my specific stuckness or getting in my own way? And I know that it's really easy to look externally at all the factors outside of you, but also looking internally can be just as rewarding and helpful, just as important, and sometimes even more so. And part of that, which I think is really important, is getting useful feedback, recruiting help the right way. And if you really want to learn more and dig more into how to do that more, how to do that better, I really encourage you to go back and listen to episode 111 called How to Gain Insight. I think it's hard to overemphasize how important it is to be able to spill out the challenges, the perspectives, the stuckness. And I don't mean spilling it out to anybody all the time. I don't mean spilling it out to the whole world. What I mean is being able to put it all in front of you, to take a look at all of it. Maybe it means writing that down for yourself. Maybe it means finding a trusted confidant or friend or mentor that you can really just talk this all out to, who isn't going to jump in and interrupt and try and fix it immediately for you. But it's really hard to overemphasize how important it is to really spill it all out, to put it all on the table, and then to pick it up and look at it from every angle like a kid does when they spill out a box of toys and they poke and prod and explore and examine and use everything, including the box, as if every bit of it is incredibly important. And that brings us to the second hack, which I call playing in the sandbox. Playing in the sandbox is about using everything that you've spilled out, examined, and clarified as a springboard to consider what will help you move forward. It's all about exploring and analyzing 
Playing means trying, observing, and calibrating. Not that you have all the answers up front, not being fixed on the one solution. In fact, frequently, there are many different potential solutions and being able to examine and look at and even try a bunch of different ones without trying to get so fixed on the answer, the solution, can be really important and really helpful. What that does is it allows you to work on learning and growing your ability to adjust your plans and ideas instead of getting fixed or stuck on them. I remember that's kind of where we started this, that we sometimes get ourselves stuck. And sometimes it's by doing that same thing over and over again, instead of really being able to look at and try a bunch of different things and not to put all of our energy behind just one thing, to put all of the weight of our outcomes or our future into that one thing, but really looking at it as an opportunity to play in the sandbox. And if you want a little bit more detail in that, I really encourage you to go back and listen to episode 123, Why Small and Imperfect is Better, where I talk a lot more and dig into more of this process of trying, observing, and calibrating. And finally, the last hack I have, which I think is such an important one, when you're finding that you're getting in your own way and you're getting stuck, is to actually reframe and refocus and really make your goal to become a sand sculptor. And I'm going to break down what that means for you. It's not about the finished product. It's about your skill and ability. In fact, it's really important to know that it's going to be what you make it. And whatever you built in the past has had to come down and make way for something else. And whatever you're working on or building right now, at some point, may need to have some version or some part of it demolished or taken down and rebuilt or built better. And it's really important when focusing on becoming a sand sculptor to focus on learning to rebuild and appreciating what you've built while it lasts with the acknowledgement that it's all going to come back down and become a pile of sand. Focus on who you become, a sand sculpturist of increasing expertise. When somebody creates a sand sculpture, they're not creating it in order for that sculpture to be there for eons and ages and forever and ever and ever. In fact, it's one of the most temporary creations, and it's intended to be that way. It does not last forever. Instead, the whole point of being a sand sculptor is about cultivating that skill and being able to make something new, memorable, and acknowledging that part of that process is that it's going to get demolished. And then you get to make way for and create something newer or bigger or better as you develop your own expertise. So what's really important here is to focus on developing and sharpening your analysis, your ability to explore the process that I spoke about in number two, that playing in the sandbox of trying, observing, and calibrating. It's really about being able to increase your adaptability and be able to make change and then make more change on top of that and more change on top of that without getting stuck on the previous changes you've made. In a sense, it's being able to create lasting change that has flexibility to move and grow as you move and grow and level up. And if you really want to dig in and learn more, I actually really recommend listening to the episode from just the previous week, episode 129, How to Create Lasting Change where I really dig more into this process.
So to recap, stepping up and leveling up as an entrepreneur and leader means that you're making a quantum leap to a new order of magnitude for yourself, your business, your life. The thought process I just walked through with you includes the exact hacks that I shared with you today. We spilled out the question and looked at it from many angles. We talked about how change can be hard, what happens when we bring functional fixedness or parts of our old selves with preconceived views into new situations and levels, and the acknowledgement that we don't fully know and aren't fully skilled at everything we need to succeed just yet. We played in the sandbox, exploring and analyzing what happens that gets in the way. We talked about recognizing that we don't have all the answers and the importance of cultivating adaptability and the process of attempting, analyzing, and adjusting, or trying, observing, and calibrating. We sculpted a sand sculpture, an example that highlights how leveling up means our past accomplishments aren't permanent. We talked about having two focuses. One is the current sand sculpture and appreciating what you're working on. But the second one is about developing your skill as the sand sculptor, as the expert, as the artist, rather than being attached to a single way to think and handle each and every situation and each and every level, including the next level. All of which provides a framework to help illustrate and give you a structure to navigate the process. And on that note, I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 